Welcome back, Ag Watchers, to another episode. We've got myself, Andrew Whitelaw, also known as the Flying Scotsman, also known as Wheat Watcher. We've got Matt Douglas, also known as the Livestock Leader, also known as Meat Watcher. Together, we're known as the Dandy Duo. And uh, we've got a special guest, very sp- special, in, uh, is James Stacey from, from South Australia. He's Nuffield scholar, so he, he knows the Masonic handshake of, of the Nuffield. He's an ex-dairy farmer, uh, an ex-political aspirant, and now now a hay producer in the in the Perry urban zone of, of Adelaide. And we thought we'd get him on just to just to have a bit of a yarn about what's happening. So Jimmy, how's it going? Yeah, it's going all right. It's a bit dry over here, but we're getting ready for winter winter cropping so it's good when are you going to start have you not started yet i've got ground worked up and been too busy selling hay, making hay and stuff so now we should be into it in the next week and hopefully seeding we've finished by the middle of june so i can go on holiday mm. you don't get holidays as a dairy farmer though no you don't so, so... Well, you do you do but you have to pay someone pay two people to do your job while you go on holiday so a couple of years ago, when I first knew you, you were a dairy farmer, and now you're a, a hay farmer, and and a, and a shit stirrer on Twitter <laughs> as the main occupation. Yep. So what's the what 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 was the what 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 was it that drove the move away from dairy? Oh, well, it popped up on my Facebook feed, I think the other day. It had um, six years ago since UDP United Dairy Power went belly up in South Australia. So at that point, there was three buyers of dairy products in South Australia and um, that dropped it back to two. And I thought that was, it was time for us to finish up in the dairy industry. And as things panned out, um, like it's five years ago, I think tomorrow that we sold the cows. And that was the day after uh, Murray Goulburn cut their price and, the ass fell out of the industry again, and like I'd been through the through the cycles of the dairy industry over twenty years, and um, yeah, I saw another downward cycle happening, and I just thought it was time for us to get out. We'd had three pretty good milk price years, and that'd given us a bit of cash, so we bailed. So with the um, the farm gate price, I think it was a buller that announced just last week uh, some reasonable size prices um, for this year coming that hasn't enticed you back in at all James uh, no even even in South Australia there's some um, smaller processes paying even more than what bullers and so forth have on offer but the dairy's been well gutted and there's no chance of making a comeback there so are you, are you you're still on the same property that you were when you had the dairy yeah that's right um, we when the cows went we used some of those funds to add some additional property onto the onto the business um and that's been a pretty handy investment since we bought it. it's probably doubled in value in the last five years so that's been a good a good thing to turn the cows into yeah and in that in that time so what are you doing now you may you got a bit of beef cattle as well no like no Adjusted cattle and also trade cattle over the winter time onto the loose and over winter. But um, with the way cattle job is at the moment, I'm just going to ignore that, cut it for silage and not worry about risking my ass on cattle at the moment. So, And after having 
livestock for 20 years, it's good to not have to worry about stuff getting out or stuff dying or anything like that. So, so, so you're, you're mainly you're mainly into hay then? Yeah, hay, and we do grow some grain as well, grow some wheat just as part of the rotation to clean pivots up and stuff. So that's what we do. And so you, you've came out the dairy industry just as, as prices were getting bad. Yep. You, you jumped into the hay industry where, yep. where, where prices for most of that period that you've been in hay, you've had probably decent production in SA? Well, 2018, the, the year I did my Nuffield, was probably the worst year we had on the farm. And like hay prices were good, but our production was impacted by that a bit as well. So that was a bit of a bugger. But yeah, hay prices have been pretty pretty good. It's pretty easy to put $400 a tonne loose hay on a truck and send it to New South Wales in the middle of a drought. That's That's easy. But the hay job, because we target mainly the horse market with what we do and probably 90% of the horses in South Australia within 60 or 70 k's of this place. So between a few fodder stores and direct sales, that moves a fair bit of hay. So is that all? So yours is, yours is almost all domestic, it's not export kind of hay at all, James? No, um, it's all domestic focus here. Like after coming back from the Nuffield, I sort of looked at where we were and thought we had to make the most of the location that we're in and the best um, use of our haze into the domestic market, into that the horse market. Like we're probably too small to be in the export job, and the conditions here we have a, a slower drying time than people further north. So making export haze a fair challenge, and you need the volumes to do it, and you need to be a, a good German that's Lutheran that's been in in the click for a long time up in the export job to get the long term contracts for it too. But so 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 when you when you say domestic market, you're really talking about you know people with with a hobby horse and whatnot. Yeah, it's pe- yeah. The the main chunk of our business is um, people with horses and alpacas and sheep, and we do sell some bulk bulk um, protein hay like first cut loosen and and clover hay into the dairy market as well we've got a couple of good dairy farmers we supply so when, when you're when you're dealing with a no, let's, let's i'm going to use the term normal when you're dealing with a normal farmer like a yep. commercial farmer yeah they've got a fairly good handle on what is happening around the place because they listen to yep. the radio they listen read the rural press they read various high quality analysts you know views of the markets uh but your customers are probably not doing that are they that's so, good. So you're you're you could, you you you're still in drought and it's you know a drought <laughs> premium. Well, in saying that, like Facebook Marketplace is probably the the dominant um, sales avenue for hay into the sort of domestic um, domestic pets, I call them that market. So obviously they can check prices out what other people are selling and stuff like that. But it's the small small square um, job job is it's all about quality and consistency because every bale you bale um your customer sees it so you have to be spot on on your quality and um build your reputation on that and but, sort but, of but, but do many of them actually know what is good hay and what is bad hay they know what's what's moldy hay yeah and what's, just... what's crap and, that, and that's about that's about it really like the fodder stores are, are fussy on it but like you can do feed tests on your hay and it's it's purely the market's driven by price and and visual quality so it can look good but not necessarily be the best in terms of feed value like at this year oat and hay like the feed quality's like me and protein's terrible because it yielded about nine tons a hectare but 
the customers still like the look of it, so they're happy with it. Because so. I've, always, I've always told my wife that our daughter can do whatever hobby she wants. With horses. As long as it doesn't involve a horse. And because you can see the price, of, like I got a local CRT store and the price of stuff for horses is just, you know, amazingly high. Yeah. And, and I guess from like a fodder point of view, they probably don't necessarily, it's not a, it's not a massive cost for them, is it? They're going to have to pay it anyway. No, like it's it's quite interesting. You'll get the people coming to pick hay up, and and they'll tell you about their three and a half or four thousand dollar vet bill they've got for colic or some health issue with their horse, and you just go, you don't feel so bad about how much you're charging for hay. Or, so, or, or buying some new hairbrushes for them, or yeah. you know, braiding yeah. their braiding their tail or something like that. But from your perspective. From your perspective, though, James, as a producer, then, because um, from our analyst hat, it's always hard to get some transparency around hay pricing around the country, but <laughs> that's that's not a bad thing for you, is it? No, no. Like, it's quite interesting. The hay industry is sort of a bit out there on its own. Like, yes, there's market reports and so forth, but it's pretty much someone's looking at ads on, on Marketplace or on um, Farm Tender and stuff to sort of calculate stuff. And it's, yeah, the hay job is interesting and the exporters it's always difficult to get pricing out of them as well like um yeah so it's a it's it's not really a closed shop but because it's like it's transparent in the in the marketplace where people are buying and selling it hey but it is it's a different it's a different place to be in and the hay job is something like it's not like you can't just roll into your silos and unload your hay and get your money in a week like you have to work at work at marketing and avenues of sale and you just got to plug away at it and and you have to understand what times of year hay different hay will be in demand and also like upsell to your customers as when you're talking to someone you offer other products and stuff like that so it's a would you like to super, a, would you like to supersize their hay please yeah 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 like would you like fries with that yeah when, when you so, so talking about like you you said that you you'd done your nuffield you'd come back and you'd sort of decided that you that you wanted to focus on that sort of what are called the peri-urban fringe. Yeah, yeah, or well, value adding into that market yeah. and, and those type of customers. But I, I'll give you one insight into 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 Matt. And so Matt is one of those people. Yep. Or sorry, that that's 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 harsh. Matt. Well, I don't was, have, I don't have horses. There's no horses here. No, Matt was here. One, here, there's no horses. Matt was one of those uh, one of those people that that you could you could tell him whatever you wanted. Yep. And he wouldn't have any clue. So so he used to he I don't know you still got it that that grain burner. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt Matt's got a burn a, a heater in his house that burns grain. All right. Yep. And uh, he used to spend about I don't know six hundred dollars a ton yep. for for feed seconds. Yep. Worth 150 bucks. Yeah. Worth, worth, worth bugger all. And uh, scrapings off the bottom of a silo. And it wasn't till till he started working with a with a high quality analyst that he realized that he was getting screwed Please. over. <laughs> but anyway, so tell us about your Nuffield. Like, how, how was that as a holiday? Oh, it's, it wasn't a holiday, Andrew. It's hard work. Um, the Nuffield, it was probably a good opportunity. Like, obviously, I did mind looking at the impact of peri urban growth on agriculture and sort of land use changes and stuff like that. So that was good because it like there's a local town near me, Mount Barker, that's had 1,200 hectares of land around it rezoned to housing and that's making a big impact on 
that area and some good farmlands disappearing. So that that sort of thing was good. But the whole Nuffield experience, it gives you, and I know it sounds a bit wanky and people who've done it, um, you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, it gives them time to reflect on themselves and their business. And it does because you're away Kumbaya. from... Yeah, <laughs> I know, like, you laugh, but it is true. It gives you, like, spending, like like three months away from your business and your family and stuff is, is interesting. And the, like the GFP, the global focus program where you go for six weeks to about seven countries with a crew of, we had seven of us. It gives you a lot of time to talk to other people that are pretty highly motivated about what they're doing and, and analyze yourself. And you get to see some fantastic businesses to see how other people are doing a really good job of things. And in other countries, how some things are up, up shit creek like when you look at um nitrates and stuff in europe and the us and things like that and it really opens your eyes up to what challenges agriculture has in some other countries when did you do that 2017 uh 2018 so yeah so because i did the china gfp so i was lucky enough to go through hong kong bank um shanghai beijing and regional china and then go back as well and that opportunity now would be fairly difficult to achieve like the the 19 scholars are probably the last ones that will get a good look at China for a fair while. Well, they're probably the last ones that will actually get to do any traveling. Because <laughs> like, like, they, they've got their applicants opened recently, I think, for Nuffields. Yeah. No, they have. Like, There's the 2020 and 2021 um, Nuffields. Like the 2020 people went to their CSC in Queensland and then half the people flew home after two days. So that was, I think that was early March last year so that sort of all turned to shit but um hopefully the uh, nuffield triennial that was supposed to be in new zealand last year that's a three yearly event um is now being scheduled for march next year so even if it's only australians and new zealanders there at least it'll be something but yeah it is it's a shame that people can't see the world at the moment but well i, I was well, just looking this morning and the price for a flight to the uk is probably three times what it was pre-covid yep. yep so i think Qantas is obviously looking to recoup some of its <laughs> some of its losses so so enough old scholarship might have to be for about 75 grand not 25 grand <laughs> in, in, a, in a couple of years time yeah it spe- will be you're speaking about china there and um and i guess we've just spoken about hay as well and it's a good segue into uh what's been happening recently james with china um and i guess in the export hay side of things that they've um just recently there's some announcements that they've kind of knocked back a whole swag of now as part of this whole trade spat um did you have any insight as being in the i know you're not in the export game but um what what did you make of that and has it made much impact to the domestic market well i'll sort of go back to my nuffield a bit in my answer here because i was in china in 18 when the chinese were making noises about soy and stuff from the us and the it was really interesting because the Chinese buyers were telling us like in the trading houses that they'd been told not to buy American soy. And then we were in Iowa at the Soybean Association and they're they're saying the Chinese have to buy our soy to meet the volume of imports they require. But we all know what happened. They bought most of the soy from Brazil and they stitched up the price in in, um, the US for a while. And I think a similar thing is going to happen here. Like I think like China's only 30% of the Australian hay export market. So it's not not going to put it completely out of business, but I think um, a bit of 
pullback on production wouldn't hurt by farmers to make sure that we're not oversupplied into that sort of export field. But in saying that, like the the Chinese, if if they want to mess with what you're producing, they can quite easily. And strategically, really, like the federal government don't give a rat's ass because the, the losses in agriculture are made up in iron ore and coal. So politically, it has little impact and Australia's farmers don't have much of a uh, political sway in the in when it comes to voting so it's not going to make much difference really it's just going to stitch a few businesses up that are focused on that and that's you're seeing that in the wine job like some businesses can adapt and move their products somewhere else and others who are more reliant on one um, market are in a fair bit of trouble so yeah the advice well, the suggestion from a few hay exporters that people could pull production back a bit is probably fairly wise. It's an int- like a, who's the big? But that is interesting because there, there was that ABC interview the other day, uh, which which I was incorrectly accused of being a Macero analyst. Uh, but th- there was a lot of suggestions that there was talk between exporters of of trying to reduce volumes of of put in the ground which is which is interesting because it raises a lot of questions uh, yeah it does about that but it i does. think it's it's sort of i don't know you, you never know what's going to happen like i think no. you, you plant what if, if you look at the prices at seeding to the prices at harvest you know chasing the price is, is probably the most difficult thing to do yeah and and the reality is in the high export industry a lot of growers have got contracts and the volumes of those will change depending on what the buyer needs. So they'll be indicating to those farmers on contracts what what they require. And like you see people say, oh, you shouldn't be growing hay, but there's a lot of people grow protein hays in their in their rotation. And that's not export hay, like vetch hay and loosen hay isn't like they a bit of loosens exported but not much. Like that's basically for the domestic um probably dairy industry is the biggest buyer of that stuff. And that's fits in with people's rotation. So there's no reason for people to back off on that. Like, And you can swap out oats for barley or wheat quite easily if it's a cereal in the rotation. You're saying before um, China is like about 30% of the export sector, the export yep. hay sector. Who, who are the big players other than them in the space? Do you know roughly the numbers? I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but Japan and South Korea make up the majority of the rest of that export export market and they're pretty sort of stagnant markets not really growing or shrinking um and yeah if australia keeps delivering quality product and a lot of last year's export hay wasn't terribly good quality so hopefully this year we can put some quality back in the sheds and get that moving through the system so um yeah and like if you look at it from that point of view there's probably not a lot of great quality hay out there still like what's out there is probably pretty ordinary mm. it's going to be like like at the end of the day i think you know with barley we were you know the opposite we're more than 70 percent of our trade was into china in recent years so what with a 30 percent market into china you know it should be a lot easier to find alternate markets than it was for for, for barley uh, and 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 barley's not necessarily barley's not necessarily done all that bad in the last year, which is probably helped by a few issues. But yeah. again, other thing as well is that you know we're, we're probably not that far away from the next drought potentially. No, money's money's cheap. 
you know, for, for some, it's an opportunity to, to store and hold, see it's, what happens. It, barley and, and hay are a bit different because of, like, the demand isn't necessarily there in other countries for export hay. Um, but you're right, like, with the, the um, tax incentives around drought preparedness now, like, you can ride a hay shed off in three years. So most hay growers are putting a shed up every three years because it's a fantastic place to store fodder and and it's um ta- pretty tax effective and like yeah hey we're only we're only a day away from the next drought so that won't be far away well i think that's the thing like what, what the expectation will be that we'll have another drought within the next five years at least yep. Matt, yep. that's what it is roughly yeah um the numbers were i think it's uh the most frequently occurring number period of, of years between a wet season and a and a dry season is about two years, looking back at the last 100 years of rainfall. But if you look at the average, it's about four years. So somewhere between the next two to four years is what the analysis shows is we're going to be back in a drought. And, and considering at the moment, two, two big steers buys a truckload of cereal hay. Like um, if, if, fodder, if um, livestock producers need hay, they can justify buying it at, at current prices for livestock so i'm yeah and it's been really interesting like since getting into the the hay job like the demand from the sheep industry is is quite high or was during the drought like the sheep guys were the ones that were prepared to cough the money up and and get hay early and that really surprised me because sheep have always been something that you can dispose of if the prices are a bit dodgy and the seasons are dodgy but yeah the the sheep guys were really keen to keep stock going and they love protein hay for um reproductive performance mm. so buy up stick it in the ground yep buy it cheap it's just it's just a battle against interest rates isn't it <laughs> and the cost yep. of money and and the the beauty of protein hay is it can store for three four five years fine whereas oat and hay the mice get in it and make a mess so yeah, build sheds and buy protein hay. It's the go. So, you've also you've got a kid coming back to the farm as well. That that's the plan. Um, our oldest lad Zach, he's twenty. He's up in Northern Territory on a million acre cattle station up at Lucy Creek at the moment. So, he he went to an ag ag school, and um, he said, "Should I do an apprenticeship, Dad?" And I said, "You just go and work for as many people as you can for the next." four or five years and then do a year at Marcus Oldman at some point. And then, and then if you're keen, you can come home after that. So he's, he's done cotton harvest over in New South Wales and he's been fencing contracting and he comes and helps me hay time and then goes up to the North for the wet or for the dry season up there. And he's loving that. So he's got a, he's got a seat booked for cotton picking for next year saying it's going to be a rippy year. So he's, he'll be in a new harvester for next cotton season for four or five months. So Loving it, but it's, it's, I reckon it's a good way of doing it to get that experience of what works, what doesn't work, what like, other people, what other people are doing as well. Yeah, and it's a bit like doing enough field. You go and see, see people doing a good job or not so good job, and you learn how to work with other people because that's important. Like some kids can come home and work on a farm effectively, but it doesn't hurt to learn how to work with other people and negotiate through things rather than scream at your family so like some people i think do yeah you're um you're pretty active on twitter um james as is andrew and myself um and uh I, andrew alluded to a bit of a, a run at a political um 
stint uh, in your in your history. Um, any any thoughts about um, looking back at that again and have another crack at the the politics side of things? No, no, twice failed po- political aspirant here. Um, no, like I think like the last time running with with Xenophon was a, was good. Like we got some senators up in South Australia, which is what my role was to harvest some votes, and we almost knocked off the local sitting member, which brightened his ideas up a bit. Like I think it was. I don't know, 45, 55 on a two-party. So that that stirred things up a bit. But sort of I've had my run at politics and I've been involved in agri-politics and stuff for a long time. And after doing Nuffield, it's sort of, oh, shit, I need to focus more on my own business. That's going to be far more effective for us. And that's what I'm doing. Like I'm still involved in some local water stuff because that that's more of a vested interest thing. So, but yeah, it's... Politics is interesting, but you can waste a lot of time doing it. And ag- agri-politics is a is a game where you sort of it's pretty hard to please everyone, and you're always pissing people off and having people having a crack. So you just leave that to other people that want that and use it for a political ladder to get somewhere else. So you just so it's a lot just, easier to just shift on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly what I was going to say. A lot, lot easier to lob a few bombs on Twitter and walk away. <laughs> Been accused of that. So so are we <laughs> Re- regularly, but but no, I reckon that's probably covers everything. What 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 else you got to cover off on James? What's what's the big issue at the moment? You big know, issue at the moment. Well, I could have. You didn't ask me what I did, and I could have just said I was a degenerative ag, a degenerate degenerative farmer, and I just like use chemicals and fertilizer that are actually grow shit and replace stuff that i take away from farming like i think there's some interesting trends in agriculture at the moment like you got the whole regen thing and that's more about farmers that have flogged the crap out of their farms for the last 50 years and now they're trying to fix up how badly they fucked it um but, but yeah that sort of, sort of seems to be the going there's a bit all, all this sort of carbon farming um stuff like i just can't get my head around how someone who's actually commercially running a farm is going to benefit from it like yeah enough if you're going to shut up some scrub and and get some carbon credits from some trees that might grow and hopefully don't burn down but if you're like intensive agriculture growing crops like it it will have no financial benefit for us to be involved like i think on our farm like we sort of gone into the solar to save money on irrigation and we're going to build another hay shed and put more solar on that and that's really um, been quite effective this year in really pulling our energy bills back. So I think agriculture is going to change. Like I reckon, give it a few years and there'll be a solar panels generating hydrogen into tanks on everyone's farm and our tractors will be running on hydrogen and shit like that. So I think that's some big changes that will be happening. But, um, but and- I, do, I do think there's a, there's a big push for these sort of... If you, if you look, we, we've, we've had... A, we've talked for years and years now and has been almost a sort of an annual buzzword in the industry yeah yep. i'm not not necessarily every year but there's i remember in recent years there was drones that was a big thing yep. then it was ag tech in general how it was a big thing and then it was social license and we've had resilience and then now we've got regenerative agriculture so i'm not quite sure what next year's one will be it might just it might just be capitalism yeah let's let's make some bloody money guys yeah it it might and i think that's it's been quite interesting like i think in the last 
12 months with a decent season. Farmers haven't got time to whinge and go to conferences and shit. It's been good that COVID sort of shut everything down because people can concentrate on farming and making money with a good season. And I think a lot of farmers are probably sit back and think COVID's been quite good. It's stopped the trivial shit and wasting time and they've actually run their businesses far better than what they have in the past. Yeah, yeah, I reckon so. I still miss being able to go for a drink on the evening after a conference. <laughs> uh, but that's 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 the only thing that's missing, although Matt and I are going up to Beef Week next week. Matt signed him up for the Fred Boffey tent. It's definitely the social aspect of, of conferences and stuff has, is something that, that's missing, but I don't know how productive some of that is, really. <laughs> uh, I think a bigger part of the, the social aspect. Yeah, I think and networking. Still, and networking. Well, yeah. I don't even know if networking is that important, but the social aspect of it is, is definitely got some value in it. Pro- but it probably was. Like even we talked about it before, like one of the biggest industries in agriculture is is events management. Yeah. You know, because there was, you know, if you look pre-COVID times, you could easily go to a conference in Victoria once a day for an entire year. It would be quite interesting if someone actually did a, I need to do a PhD, Andrew, like yourself, on um, how much R&D money has been spent on conferences and what benefit it actually has. But And, I I wonder, and, and maybe you're right, maybe COVID has sort of changed people's perception of, of whether they need a conference. Yeah, well, you talk to like a lot of seed companies and things like that, and they've generated record profit this year because their sales and marketing budget has been dramatically reduced. Like they don't have people flying all over the countryside, driving everywhere. They're just making phone calls, talking to resellers, talking to farmers and selling stuff. And just, just, that's just, what it, well, it, it's this, pretty basic. Just sat in the spare room like me. <laughs> that's right. Andrew's Make been it. looking for a, an avenue to do a Nuffield. James, you might just give me one. Yeah, Nuffield yeah, on no. uh, on ag conferences or the decline in ag conferences, and <laughs> will they make a return uh, once uh, travel restrictions ease everywhere? Yeah. No, that, that'll keep him busy for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've not been on holiday for a while, so maybe I should apply for one. <laughs> not a holiday. So, not a holiday. Not a holiday. Yeah, okay. Uh, take your word for it. So yeah, I reckon that's it for this one because a we're we're running out of time. The the ticker is running down on our basic version of of Zoom. Yep. Uh, thank thanks James for coming along. Always enjoy right. your your shit stirring on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, if you like this podcast, uh, leave a review and uh, leave a rating. If you don't like the podcast, well, well, don't leave a review or a rating. Um, share it with your friends and family because uh, remember, sharing is caring. And uh, we're all in this industry together to to look after one another. Uh, if you've got any ideas for guests or things that you want us to talk about, then just send us a message on the usual places. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Thanks, James. See you when you've got nothing on. Ciao for now. <laughs> Thanks, lads.